You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. It's Friday, and this is Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. All of our guests will join us on the Goodyear Hotline. Sarah, all eyes last night were going to be on Brooklyn taking on the Lakers. The Nets go out. They smack L.A. all around. They get the win, and I don't care. I still think that it's a given the Lakers are the best team in the NBA. But it has me wondering, at what point do we take something from these games? When we see the Nets go out and do that to the Lakers, does it mean anything to you? Because it's not hitting me. I'm kind of in the middle here. I certainly feel stronger about the Nets than I did a couple weeks ago. They have proved that they can beat really good teams and that when they care, they can play defense. This puts them at 8-1 and one against teams in the top five in each conference. This puts them at a perfect 7-0, and oh, I believe, against uh, teams that are currently bound for the playoffs in the West. When they get their act together put in the effort on both sides of the floor, move the ball around, are stroking from three, this team looks pretty darn unstoppable. The question is, can they replicate that over the course of a series when it matters most? I'm no longer as distracted by the the bad games and the stinkers against bad teams because it feels like want to at this point. Now, there's a lot of reasons to still have reservations, and those include the fact that the Lakers were without Anthony Davis and Schroeder. That's important. Not just Davis. We're all talking about Davis, but Schroeder's out too, yeah. and that leaves Two of their it, three top scorers. Right, right. right. And, and you've got two out of three on the net side. Sure, they were without KD, but you're still talking then about, essentially, as far as superstars go, LeBron versus both Kyrie and Harden. Um, so I'm much more optimistic than I was early on that they can get it figured out on the defensive side, which was always the question. But you and I always talk about this, and maybe I harp on it too much, but a hardened team heading into the playoffs dependent on the three is a risky endeavor. So I like to see stuff like Joe Harris putting up 21 um, and, and a little bit more depth from that team so that if somebody forgets how to basketball at the most important moment, they might have somebody else to rely on. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, Spain and Fitz on this Friday edition. You can get in the zone. Get in the zone is brought to you by AutoZone. Get in the zone, AutoZone. Look, at some point, the, the thing that stands out to me is always, I'll go back to the Jody Messina song from the 90s country music, Mike Give a Damn's Busted. I think you're right that sometimes we look at teams like <laughs> I Brooklyn. I always forget yeah. your country and then you pull off something yeah. like that. Woo! I have I no got, idea what you know, you're talking I, about. I just pull, I pull, pull out these references all day long. You know, I, just, I feel like now I need my denim overalls and I'll just oh be, I'll be good to go. No, the, the, the Give a Damn's Busted here is important for the Lakers, too, because you're right. Like It's easy for me to excuse the losses to bad teams for Brooklyn but at the same time I got to look around at the Lakers and think what what motivates them right now I mean yes they have no Anthony Davis and you're right no Schroeder that's a really big deal two of their three top scores LeBron at this point is is absolutely on fire I've heard Jay Will say several times on KJ and Z that this is his MVP season yet again and it's going to be a landmark one because of it I get all of that but just as a team they understand what they're playing for they had a short rest they have a short gap before they get into the season they're into this season and while everybody's up to play the Lakers I'm not sure the Lakers are really up to play anybody right now so that's why it's hard for me to take much like we've replaced load management in my mind in some way in this season we've replaced load management with effort management and that means we're going to get different levels of effort from different guys on different 
different nights, and it's just part of what we have to accept. So it's cute, and it's fun during the regular season, but it doesn't change my thought. If I had to risk my house, I'm not taking anybody but the Lakers to win the NBA championship. Right, and I always feel like we're just repeating ourselves, Fitz, and it's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, because we don't want to put too much credence into regular season games, and that's a frustrating way to analyze what we're watching but I think we're all a bit gun-shy now to, to propose any team as great if we haven't seen them do it before. There's, there's, there's you know, some faith in a Lakers team that only got better in the offseason in terms of personnel, more so than the teams that, you know, we haven't seen in the postseason at all, like the Nets, who are an entirely new sort of conglomerate of talent, or someone like the Bucks or the Jazz that just can't seem to put it all together for a deep stretch. Um, an interesting angle here, too, is that we talk about the removal of great players as a detriment, and it is. But in the case of the Nets, one of the biggest conversations we had about whether they'll work is how all three of those superstars operate on the court together. And Kendrick Perkins on first take said, this is great how good they look when two or three are out there, but what happens when the trio gets in, in the games? I'm a strong believer, as being a former champion, that you have to get your role players involved because they help you win playoff series. And also, when you get your role players involved offensively, then they actually want to play defense. That's why the Brooklyn Nets defense has taken a tremendous leap. But I'm going to say this. I have yet to see it with the big three on the court. Yes, we're seeing it with James Harden and Kyrie Irving on the court, but what happens when Kevin Durant get back in the mix? We don't see that same type of ball movements. Yep, it does. It's it's not as far as to say addition by subtraction fits by any stretch for any of their top three to be out. It's just a different look. And sometimes it's that balance and it's that rhythm that throws a little wrench in, in, in the game. And so they need more practice with all of them out on the court. And there is some level of having proven it that, that means so much to me with the Lakers in regards as opposed to the Nets, because really it comes down to two guys, Anthony Davis and LeBron. Again, Anthony Davis didn't play last night, and now we know that AD will be out for what looks like a much longer than originally anticipated. That means he will miss the uh, game tomorrow night. Uh, the Heat taking on the Lakers tomorrow night, 8.30 p.m. Eastern on ABC. Again, you can get in the zone, AutoZone. Uh, you, you look at that game and you look at what the Lakers are doing right now, and that's why I think all of this is a little bit house money. I mean, Anthony Davis's impact is so huge to the team. We all know that, and I would, I've been arguing since the middle of last year. I'm not even sure it's LeBron's team anymore. I feel like it is Anthony Davis's team, and LeBron is just good with that. Like, he takes over when he needs to take over, and AD is just sort of growing his superpowers. Like, this whole plan has worked for the Lakers, but now they need to be cautious as we know that he'll be out longer than expected. That's obviously going to put a wrinkle in into the regular season, but even that won't change. As long as AD is healthy when they go into the playoffs, the Lakers are dominant because they have the two best players on the best team. Yeah, the Anthony Davis situation is an interesting one because it mattered very little last year what the seedings were because of the bubble. There was no home court advantage. It matters a bit more this year, but I'm still not super concerned about the Lakers' regular season achievements. So they need to be very careful with an Achilles, which is a very scary injury and can easily go from sore to snapped, and nobody wants to see that. So I'm not super worried about them being without Anthony Davis for however long it takes for him to not feel that at all. I say that especially as somebody who tore my Achilles after having pain in it, getting a shot, thinking everything was fine, everything was working. I set a PR in the hurdles that morning, and then I tore it in the high jump that day. If you have any pain at all, and it's being pulled 
It's a real risk. And so I think they got to be extra careful with him, knowing that they already feel pretty good and in rhythm. With They've got a couple new pieces, but yeah, I agree with you that they're still the favorite to win. Um, but I was a lot less respectful of the Nets' ability to put all the pieces together than I am now as I look at their success against the best teams in the league. Anthony Davis, by the way, now will be expected to miss four weeks. That's the latest report from Dave McMiniman. You can check out the article on ESPN.com as the team is, uh, according to McMiniman, great headline, playing it conservative with his injuries, which speaks to your point, Sarah. And I think, you know, as, as all eyes look on Brooklyn and L.A. Every time they play and as they have ups and downs throughout the season, we're going to do this. We're going to over-obsess as a general NBA culture around these two teams taking each other on. I think the the biggest thing that stands out to me even after last night is that I presume both of these teams are going to be great. I just don't presume that we can take anything out of a February matchup that will mean a thing when they play in July. Also, go check out my Give a Damn's Busted. It's not a bad song. Coming up, some interesting (laughs) notes on the Fernando Tatis payday end. Dr. Fauci weighed in on the potential for fans at Major League Baseball games. We'll get you some good news next on Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. IA edition of Spain and Fitz. Had to match the music, Sarah. Come in. Yeah, I was going to say, this is like, this was a jam. I did a a Peloton today, and if you don't tell everyone you did it, it didn't happen. Um, I did a Peloton today, and it was like 90s throwback, and there were some jams in there. Like some, like Monica on the first night. You remember that song? No, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, Was it, uh, was it, who was your instructor on Peloton? Um, I think, I want to say her name was somebody Lovewell, maybe. You got to check out Cody. Cody, I'm oh, telling I've, you, Cody will trust me. Out. I know Cody. Okay, I'm okay. up on Cody already. I mean, Cody shares my love of boy bands, so you know, I, I just feel like Cody and I would. Cody be best is awesome, and Allie Love is awesome too. Those are my two favorites I, so far. But I'm very new. I just got it like a week and a half ago. Well, the, we, you know, I'll have to, I'll have to find Allie at this point. Spain and Fitz on ESPN <laughs> Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel Lady, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. You can say big when you bundle your auto, home, motorcycle, RV, or boat. Visit Progressive.com. All of our guests are going to join us on the Goodyear Hotline. By the way, sneak peek at eight o'clock Eastern. Megan Rapino going to join us. I'm just going to drop that as no many big times deal. As possible. I mean, just, just freaking out simple. a little. Just a little thing. It's just a little thing. Uh, in the meantime, uh, there's been some baseball conversation uh, going on today around uh, some comments made by Dr. Fauci. And Dr. Anthony Fauci is the director of the National Institute of Allergy. Uh, and that's a very official sounding title. He was on the Baseball Tonight podcast <laughs> with Buster Olney and had some good news for baseball fans in some sense as he was asked about the chance that he thinks Major League Baseball can have fans at games. This was his reply. Well, first of all, uh, Buster, it, it, it's, it's a moving target. But the way it's moving now, if you look at the uh, number of infections per day and you chart it, right now it's on a rather sharp decline. That, together with the fact that as each day goes by, we vaccinate more and more people, that it is conceivable that if that curve keeps going down, down, down and stays down, that we could have a pretty good chance of having a baseball season that's a full season, that you're going to have people in the stands, maybe not sitting right next to each other. They're going to be public health restrictions like mask wearing and things like that. But even though we have to keep our eye out on these variants that you've read about, you know, these kinds of strains that are prominent in the UK and in South Africa, which replicate and spread at least the UK one does, more efficiently 
than the standard virus that we've had in our community. If that takes hold, that could reverse those gains that I'm talking about. So if the gains keep coming and you see it go down, 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 more and more people get vaccinated as we go from March to April to May. You know, I'm cautiously optimistic, but I'm also a realist. And we have to really keep our eye out on what impact those variants might have. Fitz, quickly, uh, not important, but in case people were wondering, it's the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases. Uh, so that uh, probably makes a little bit more sense in terms of Fauci uh, being uh, tied to the epidemiology stuff he's done in the past. He's also now the chief medical officer to President Biden. So he's very tuned in to the plans of the country in dealing with this. Um, he did say in the interview that full stadium attendance is likely going to require close to 80 percent of the population being uh, vaccinated and rates of infection being significantly lower. So I don't think we can expect a full summer of packed baseball stadiums, but I think spring training is going to offer us a look at what it is to have limited number of fans. And there were teams that did have limited number of fans during the regular season last year. Tampa Bay Rays already announced uh, last month that they're going to host about 7,000 per game at Tropicana. I will be at two games uh, out in Arizona in a couple weeks where they're doing 15%, you have to buy in pods and sit with your pod with a mask, et cetera. So I think there's a lot of ways for them to test this out in spring training and then roll it out depending on the city and the way that particular city is dealing with and whether they have a a hold on the spread. Well, and at some point, Sarah, it's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. This becomes not just about baseball, but frankly, about every sport. Every sport is and life. at the sports. <laughs> right. I mean, everybody's looking at it saying, OK, you're dipping your toe in the water. How's it going? And, and uh, this is a little bit like everybody running off the beach into shark infested waters. And, and you're just watching the one person that's out there. It's like, all right, I don't see any blood yet. We must be pretty good. So I understand Except that you can't you know, see blood with variables. COVID, which is part of the scary. Right. That, right. That's the Fair difficulty point. here is we can think we're, we're, we're being successful and not know that we're making it worse. But we are at least getting positive, you know, positive thoughts from him. Right. So for Dr. Right. Fauci, who so many people have looked at and said, OK, how's it looking? What's happening? Where are we going for him to come in and say cautiously optimistic? That's become a bit of a, a, a buzz phrase in 2020, yeah. 2021. Uh, I understand that. But for him to be cautiously optimistic, I think what happens from that is all sports fans now, no matter what your favorite sport is, is looking at and saying, OK, if baseball can test the waters a little bit and if they can get to a capacity percentage, whatever that might be, at least that becomes not only great for baseball and their economics and for fans that want to go to games. It also becomes great for college football and the NFL that are looking at it and saying in the fall, hey, baseball did this and had success. So every sport, I think, is going to be leaning on the other sports uh, to, to figure out how they're handling it, what's working, what's not working. But this is a moment of positivity. It is. And it's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. I think one of the things that needs to be made clear is that we will not have an opening of the floodgates for any part of our lives. And I think at one point, even though it was pretty clear if you thought hard enough about it, that there wasn't going to be a snap of the fingers, everybody go live your lives. It's become pretty self-evident over the last few months that we are going to be dipping a toe in the water and then gradually released back into the world as we get a hold of this thing, fingers crossed. Uh, And because of that, I think the best we can ask for is, yeah, we're in a position where it's safe to have a limited number in 
and hope to continue to grow that number if infections decrease, if vaccinations go up. And then we won't be approaching next winter the same way we did this year, where we knew the numbers would go up. And they did exponentially to the tune of several hundred thousand more dead in the last couple months and early months of 2021. Um, I do feel more like we have a grasp on a plan of action with this administration and with the vaccinations rolling out. But I think what we need to do is not have the warm weather arrives and everybody runs out into the world believing and not yet understanding what it means to be vaccinated, how many people need to be and all that other stuff. And so I think, you know, it's worth still remembering that the athletes involved in these sports have daily testing and extreme measures. The fans showing up will not. And so there will be a lot of responsibility for them to behave in ways that doesn't cause a spread. Well, there's also some you mentioned what everybody's used to and what everybody's figuring out. Dave Roberts uh, said smartly on the podcast with Buster today, the Dodgers manager, that teams are a little bit more familiar at this point with protocol and how to handle it. And that doesn't mean fans are. You're right. But uh, at least uh, I feel like for Major League Baseball players, for teams, for everybody that's involved in this process, having gone through so much of it already, it feels like we're coming into it impossibly a more positive situation with a better understanding of what needs to be done and a better understanding of how they can maintain and get their sport played. So, you know, those are all positive things that we can look at right now and say, okay, at least it, you're telling me there's a chance, Sarah. That's all I'm looking for is just a chance. So, Well, I mean, uh, there's a know, chance for me to go watch, but uh, will my team be any good? Doesn't seem likely, Fitz. So that's the other part of this is uh, as we continue to react to baseball and their manipulations with their with their uh, union, uh, we have to figure out how teams are spending as much as they are while also claiming broke, what impact that will have on the union and their negotiations as they march toward, you know, potentially strike or otherwise, like, baseball has a lot of questions to be answered and I haven't even brought up the new ball or anything like that. Right. There's just a lot. There's a lot. It's, it's, it's messy is what I'm saying. Baseball's messy. It is, but it's not messy for the Padres right now who just gave Tatis Jr. A ton of money. I'm just, there's a positive. I'm I'm all positive on this Friday edition. Well, unless you want to talk about whether he's buried in a small market and whether, you know, Sorry, I made it messy again. I'm so sorry. I, I haven't messy picked my again. favorite team yet, so maybe the Padres <laughs> should be a 14-year deal for Tatis Jr. Maybe, <laughs> maybe I should pick that. That's going to give me some time, Sarah. You know, it's a, it's a, I'm a beacon of light in a dark, dark world on this Friday <laughs> You're edition your of best. Spain and Fitz. That's all I can do. That's all I can do. All right, we knew it was going to be the craziest offseason ever when it came to quarterback movement. Well, we've been trying to break it down as only we can on the show with a little bit of quarterback chaos fun. We're going to do that next with a team that Sarah knows a bunch about, Chicago. What direction oh are the Bears going in? We'll bring in not only Sarah, but another <laughs> expert next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. To Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. This has been a strange offseason already in the NFL, and it just began. So many teams with questions at the quarterback position, and we're going to bring one in to talk about yet another squad that doesn't seem to have any idea who will be their signal caller in the upcoming season. It's a little thing we're calling quarterback chaos. We always thought that this would be an unprecedented movement of quarterbacks. Magic made by Carson Wentz. All this is circling around us. Deshaun Watson on the run. The most important position to have this kind of turnover. NFL offseason 2021 quarterback chaos on Spain and Fitz. Joining us now on the Goodyear Hotline, it's a senior writer for the Bears for the Athletic, Adam Johns. 
And I'd like to say I felt confident at all about what the Bears' plans are for next season. But, Adam, to be honest with you, I had having an inkling about what things might look like at the quarterback position. Are you getting any hints? Well, everybody thought it was going to be Carson Wentz for a little bit. And then, nope, nope, that's the, the Colts guy. I think the, the, the Bears' actual interest was actually very, very low in acquiring Carson Wentz, especially for what he could potentially cost them as opposed to, to the Colts. So, yeah, who's next? Uh, look, the Bears obviously have interest in Derek Carr or Sean Watson, but are those guys really going to be traded? Who knows? Ryan Fitzpatrick, Jameis Winston. This is the Bears, Sarah. You know the Bears are <laughs> always looking for the quarterback. Um, it's been a long-standing problem. They thought they had it fixed by drafting Mitch Trubisky a few years ago, but they're still in this mess. Mitch wasn't the guy. hasn't panned out in, in the way they had hoped. And they're, they're tirelessly searching. They're, they're endlessly searching. It's just the story of the franchise. So, Adam, you mentioned several names there, but they're all very different styles of quarterback. This is a job-defining hire for everybody involved in it. What kind of a quarterback are they looking for? Well, that's a, that's a good question. How about this? Someone who's better than Nick Foles. I would just start there, <laughs> and that, that, that's why I, I think it's it's like Brian Pace has said that everything's on the table, and I know it's a cliché, but in this case, I think he 100% means it because everybody should be on the table. You just can't go into the 2021 season with Nick Foles as your guy. So whether that's taking a swing on a Ryan Fitzpatrick, having him come in and compete with Nick Foles and then drafting a guy in the second or third round, or maybe just taking Mac Jones at number 20, you've got to be aggressive in some capacity to fixing this position, especially if you're Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy with your jobs on the line. But I think for them – in terms of finding that next quarterback, the question is, who's better than Nick Foles and can we get him? Spain and Fitz, we're talking to Adam John, senior writer and Bears reporter for the Athletic Chicago. Adam, you know, a lot of people are sort of assuming the Bears are going to trot back Trubisky and Foles, but Trubisky's an unrestricted free agent. They didn't pick up his option year, so is there any reason to believe he'll be back in Chicago? Um, I guess maybe. Um, if everything's really on the table with with the Bears, then he's somewhere at that table, right? But we, we saw this played out with, with Mitch. He got the short leash coming out of camp, um, coming out of a competition with Nick Foles that he won. Sarah, I, I was at that camp. I was at those practices. Mitch Trubisky was by far the better quarterback. And then week three, he's out. In comes Nick Foles, very short leash, one bad mistake, and he was in. And then he was out for seven weeks. He had to sit and watch Nick Foles and the Bears' season kind of fall apart a little bit. You know, they, they finished 8-8, eight and eight, but everybody should remember they were 5-1. and one. They had some good things going. The defense was outstanding over the first quarter, maybe five or six games of the season. They were outstanding, maybe the, the, arguably the best in the league, and then things got away from them. You did not get an upgrade at the quarterback position in Nick Foles. Mitch Trubisky actually comes back plays really well against some bad teams, but he still had to play well to beat those teams and, you know, rewrote the, the Bears' season. They got into the playoffs and, you know, maybe helped his chances of landing another job. So I think if, if Mitch Trubisky is seriously an option for the Bears, they got some things to work out first because obviously the benching, I think that lasts with the guy. That's a serious conversation that has to be had between Mitch Trubisky and Matt Nagy to work out. So, Adam, one of the other things I'm struggling to figure out how to work out in my mind for the Bears, if they go out and get an epic quarterback, 
they're a little bit uh, against it in the salary cap situation. How are they going to pay a quarterback and stay under the cap? Well, there's definitely ways um, they could do that, starting with releasing Bobby Massey. You could add veteran tight end Jimmy Grant to that, veteran nickelback Buster Screen to that mix. So there's ways to clear cap space. Like There's always money available, right? Look at the Saints. They're always up against it, but they're still competitive, right? They're still re-signing guys and adding guys in free agency. The Bears, where Ryan Pace is from, are similar to the Saints, right? Like he came from the Saints. So there's always way to ways to maneuver that money. I always use the word fluid when describing the salary cap space. So there's, there's ways to escape certain things. You can extend Cal Fuller. Like he's got a $20 million cap hit for the 2021 season. You don't want that. You have to ex- either get rid of him, save that money, or extend him and get that salary cap lower. Um, maybe it's, it's a restructure for Khalil Mack, a restructure for Eddie Jackson, guys that have big contracts. Maybe it's another short-term extension for Akeem Hicks. To, to get his $8 million in terms of a cap hit lower. So there's there's avenues for the Bears. And, uh, you know, the way they've built their contracts gives them those av- avenues. Ryan Pace and his chief negotiator, Joey Lane. So they've built those into their system a bit. But I, some of these guys I want to get rid of unless you, you figure out your quarterback position because that's what you got to pay for first. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz on ESPN Radio. Talking about the quarterback chaos in the NFL and the Bears, one of the teams with a giant question mark at signal caller, Adam Johns of the Athletic Chicago with us. Adam, I've been trying to talk myself off of the false enthusiasm about the potential that the Bears could get Deshaun Watson. I mean, he's out there and he's not assigned to any team yet, so I can still believe it. And then Lewis Riddick comes in with the the words giving me false hope, saying that he could see the Bears you know, top leadership needing to make a move like that to save their jobs. They need to do something big and they need to be great next year or they're out of there. Are you hearing any idea of what a package would look like going to the Texans? <laughs> and you, is, is there, should I just immediately cut off all hope now before things get worse for me? No, no, no. It's, it's look, there's two feet of snow in my lawn here in Chicago. A little <laughs> hope is needed. You know, right. people need hope in, in Chicago land. So, why not a little Deshaun Watson conversation? Well, of course the Bears are interested. You know, Matt Nagy, you know, by all accounts and purposes, everything that I've heard has, has loved this guy since that draft year, right? Obviously the Chiefs like Mahomes, but Matt Nagy also liked Deshaun Watson a lot. So their relation, relationship goes back to that year. Um, and obviously there's other connections with the team. But, yeah, I, I guess the conversation there is, like, how much and where do you, where do you end? Is there such a thing as too much? For the guy, I would argue that that maybe there is, but I don't think the Bears they have to be willing to entertain and take those risks to finally address the most important position in sports and get it right for the first time since Sid Luckman. So you know the story, right? <laughs> yes, I've had to say his name too many times, yeah, and I don't. Yeah, right. I wasn't born when Sid Luckman was playing. Why do I need to know so much about a guy that long Guys, ago? Was, was Jim McMahon that bad? Like I remember Jim McMahon he was being good. Like, but I was a kid. Serviceable. I was, I was a kid. I'll admit. Oh, okay. He was serviceable. Well, he, he, he the won, defense won, was great. He, yeah, he was part of the '85 Bears team, and he is forever adored and beloved here in Chicago. But I, I think the story of, of Jim McMahon, like after the '85 team was why didn't he win one more with how loaded that team was? I think you've heard Dan Hampton voice those, voice that mindset uh, a lot here in Chicago. So, but yeah, it's it's the long-standing problem position in Bears history. Uh, Ted Phillips himself, 
and sit down and interview with me. Guys, a couple of years ago, called it the Achilles heel of the franchise, and they've taken major swings at this, guys, right? Like, we, we all know that. Jake Cutler, major swing. Mitch Trubisky, major swing. Gabe McNown, major swing. And, and they, they've got it wrong every single time. Cutler was okay. Trubisky was okay. But it's still not that franchise-caliber game-changer that you hope to get a quarterback. Well, we appreciate you uh, giving us your best shot at helping us figure out what's next. <laughs> I don't think anybody knows. If you had to, it, you know, feet to the fire, take a wild guess at who starts at quarterback next year for the team. Who is it? It's going to be Nick Foles. Like, mm. Here's my prediction, Sarah. Mm. It's Nick Foles, another veteran, is some type of backup for him or some type of competition. Maybe that's Andy Dalton who has connections to this coaching staff. And then a draft pick. I like Matt Jones. I think I could see him as a realistic option number 20 for the Bills. Thanks, Adam. Appreciate the insight. See you guys. We got a lot to get to with that. The NBA is on ESPN Radio. Tune in Sunday as Zion and the Pelicans host Jalen Brown and the Celtics presented by Indeed. Coverage begins at 3 p.m. Eastern on most ESPN radio stations. Coming up, I'll existentially wonder why Adam couldn't provide me with the answers I was looking for, which were mainly that Deshaun Watson will be here in short order. We'll get to all of that and more coming up next on Spain and Fitz. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Back to Spain and Fitz on a Friday on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. Drivers who save with Progressive save over $750 on average. Call or click today and find out if they could save you hundreds on your car insurance. Don't forget about 15 minutes from now, Megan Rapino set to join the show. And it's a Friday, so we get into a little sports tinder later as well. Just talk to Adam Johns of The Athletic about my Chicago Bears and fits. I'm vacillating between depression and elation. And let me explain the highs and lows here. The depression comes from the fact that it feels like this is a rudderless ship with no real big plan. Uh, that is doing exactly the thing that I thought they were too smart to do, which is to look at a season where they backdoored into the playoffs, aided by another team's loss, finished on almost entirely a losing skid, and yet decided they could come back with the same coach and GM and potentially quarterback in Nick Foles. That's the clear depression. The elation is if your team is as cruddy as mine has been, particularly at the quarterback position for as long as it has been, almost the entirety of the franchise, the hope that is allowed by there still being a question allows me to still dream of something like a Deshaun Watson or a trade that results in Deshaun to Miami and Tua to the Bears, right? Something to look forward to beyond another year of what we saw from Nick Foles. And you know that I was trying to be optimistic about Nick Foles. But after what we saw last year, I I just, it would be so sad to trot out that same offensive vibe with a defense that's still in a window. So the question becomes, how do you fix it? Because you're, you're right. Uh, Obviously it feels sad, but there's, there's basically a couple of things you can do. You can go all in and try and acquire a quarterback, which I think we agree if it's Deshaun Watson or Dak Prescott or somebody like that, most teams would go all in on trying to acquire said quarterback. I'm not sure that, that your fan base for the Bears, for example, would feel as great about giving up multiple first-round picks for Derek Carr, right? As much as I love Derek Carr. 
so, you know, there's only a couple Still of guys a big that are upgrade. out there <laughs> worth, well, that is true. And there are only a few guys that are worth really mortgaging everything for, or do you essentially try your best to roll the dice again in the draft? And that, that's really where your elements are, but none of it's a, none of it's a sure thing, right? There, there isn't other than Deshaun Watson or Dak Prescott. I can't look at anybody right now that's anywhere in the quarterback market to, as on the professional level and say, that is a sure thing that I know is going to make our team better. And there's one guy in the draft, and that's Trevor Lawrence. Everybody else you can ask at least some fair question about. Yeah, I, you know, he mentioned, Adam did, uh, the possibility that Mac Jones would be available for the Bears, that they might end up coming back with Foles, maybe a veteran backup, and then a draft pick in the mix. You know, I, I saw enough of Mac Jones to be excited, but again, the excitement comes from the unknown, like it hasn't yet arrived on my plate and been bad, which is the majority of what I'm eating from the Bears quarterback position. Should I be enthusiastic about the possibility of him coming in? Or is it another? I mean, it's hard enough to draft a great quarterback in the top five, not to mention the top 25. Well, and you're absolutely right about that. But I, I feel good about it for you. I mean, when he said Mac Jones, my ears perked up. I mean, you're talking about a quarterback that only really has one year of starting experience. We know that, but he's also somebody that's incredibly accurate. And the argument is that he had such great weapons around him that you can't even count it. But realistically, he still made all the throws. In fact, going into the national championship game, his completion percentage on throws that were in the air for more than uh, 30 yards was the long, was the best in history. So, like, not not patterns but actually in the air so he throws the deep ball really well he's just not super athletic so it's sort of the opposite the exact opposite of Mitch Trubisky right like he may not be a guy that's going to run around and do much but at, at 20 I love that pick somewhere where he could come in at 20 and then maybe get a year to figure out exactly what he wants to be as a pro and how to get into that game and then all of a sudden he turns around and he explodes for you like I kind of like it right. for you as Mac Jones yeah the problem is is that that mobility problem is one that's exacerbated by a bad offensive line and maybe by the Facts. time yeah. he would act actually be doing anything meaningful for the Bears they will have shored up that that issue and that is clearly top of the list for them but one of the reasons the idea of Deshaun Watson both excites me and scares the hell out of me for Deshaun's side of things uh, or Tua for that matter is that you're putting them behind an offensive line where they are going to need to move one of the reasons that Mitchell Trubisky ended up being more effective than Foles despite his lack of accurate his lack of accuracy was that he's got wheels and he could move and he could roll out of the pocket and make things happen. The statue of Nick Foles was a terrible pairing for a team that didn't have a super effective run game and had an offensive line that couldn't protect. So if you've got a guy who comes in and a lot of the best pieces um, are, are things like a strong arm and good anticipation, but doesn't have great athleticism or mobility, that's going to be a struggle in Chicago. Mike Greenberg today talked about um, – the Deshaun Watson sweepstakes and all the teams that are still potentially in the running. And Ludus Riddick had brought up that the Bears might go all in and throw everything at the Texans because that front office knows they could be out of jobs if they don't do something good and something big next year. Here's what Greeny said about that. This organization has so mismanaged their situation that they're now going to allow this coach and general manager who've gotten everything wrong to mortgage their entire future because they are lame ducks. They have no interest in the future because they both know they're going to get fired immediately if things don't go well this year, rather than what that team probably should do, which is 
make a bunch of other kind of moves, draft a quarterback, and go from there. There are a bunch of good quarterbacks in this draft. Now, if you can get Deshaun Watson, every team in the league should be trying to get Deshaun Watson. But the answer should not be, let's go out and trade, let's, let's blow away any other offer they might get because we're going to get fired in eight minutes if we don't start winning games immediately. Ha, 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 ha. See, the thing is, is that he assumed that the Bears could draft a quarterback and select the right one. If there's anything we know about the Bears based on recent history, it's that they cannot do that. They did exactly what he just suggested a couple years ago. They put together a good defense. They found some good pieces. And then they went out and traded up to get Mitchell Trubisky while Patrick Mahomes and Deshaun Watson were in that draft. It is tough for good teams and good front offices to find talent at the quarterback position in the draft and put it to good use right away. It's near impossible for a team like the Bears that has never been able to, regardless of who's in charge, identify talent at that position. So no, that's not the way they should do things. They should throw half the team at Deshaun Watson, finally get that position figured out, and then try to get the rest around him. Hope that players want to come play with him, or at least fail in a different way. I'm sick and tired of failing in the same way year after year after year. Give them everything they want if it means finally having a quarterback and then figure out the rest. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, there's a, a stat here that Field Yates tweeted out, and I think every single fan base needs to hear this, not just Bears fans, but also Jets fans and Eagles fans, everybody that's looking and salivating over the quarterback market this year. That is now, as of the trade, this is his tweet, and with the trade of Carson Wentz, there will now not be a single quarterback drafted in the first round from 2009 to 16 that is still with his original team. Zero out of 22. So for everybody that's sitting here saying, oh, man, Justin Fields, Zach Wilson, they're going to be the answer. Mac Jones is going to be the solution. Everybody that's saying, I don't want to overspend on a quarterback that is a known entity because we can get one in the draft. No, you can't. I mean, zero for 22 over a seven-year period is a pretty Mm -hmm. alarming example of the reason that if your team, and I don't care who your favorite team is, if my beloved Raiders gave up the entire draft this year and three more years of first-round draft picks to get Deshaun Watson, I wouldn't care because it gets you Deshaun Watson. That's how good he is and that's how unsure the quarterback market is every stinking year yeah I completely agree like I said fail in a big way go for it go after that guy and I know they tried it with Cutler and they thought they had it with Mitch but a proven commodity at that position to me and build around don't do the reverse by the way Ben Roethlisberger Steelers fans you ready to move on answer that question on Twitter we'll get to that in a bit Megan Rapino coming up next You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Not a good guess on this show, but I'll tell you, this guest right now has people running in from other control rooms, abdicating their responsibilities of their job. We got family members strolling in to pretend like they care about the job that their beloved father is doing. It's just, it's really showing uh, how people feel about the next guest. They are hype, and so are we. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM, Channel 80, we're presented by Progressive Insurance. And joining us now on the Goodyear Hotline, it is none other than Megan Rapino. Pino, thanks for coming on. Hey, hey, hey. How's everybody doing? Well, very hyped is what everybody is up yeah, to. We're excited. Uh, I mean, we're extremely <laughs> excited to talk to you. Let's talk about last night, uh, the opener against Canada in the She Believes Cup. A little bit of a slower start, maybe, than particularly your coach was looking for. But what was your biggest takeaway? 
Yeah, de- definitely not the, the flying start that we wanted. Um, you know, after watching it back today, we actually just had a meeting about it. It, it wasn't as bad, I think, as it felt. But, you know, we, we like to score goals. We like to get the ball in the back of the net. And so it just felt a little like we're getting our feet underneath us still, which is understandable, but still a little frustrating. We always want to put the whooping on Canada, that's for sure. <laughs> so, Megan, what's been the biggest struggle? I mean, with the delay of the Olympics by a year, what's been the biggest hard to, hardness in that for you? Oh, um, I mean, honestly, it's it's been like equally as hard, and I'm thankful for the delay as well, just personally being able to get a little bit of time to rest. But I think just honestly motivating myself to work out on my own with no games in sight, like mm-hmm. it, that was really difficult. Um, normally, at least I have games to look forward to. I have a team to practice with, but um, Sue definitely had to motivate me. Uh, a lot last year so it was, it was difficult I'm sure everybody felt it you're just you're you're zooming you're eating you're working out you're sleeping all in the same space um, you know not being able to really go anywhere and do stuff so uh, yeah just keeping motivated and, and being able to keep myself fit that is a very common refrain Sue had to get me working out Sue had to get me paying attention to my diet <laughs> Sue had to be my coach <laughs> I love yeah I love uh, yeah, that she's uh, she's keeping she's cracking the whip. It's Spain and Fitz. We're talking to Megan Rapino. Um, you know, you mentioned that a lot of that time you didn't have games to prepare for. You opted out of the Challenge Cup for the NWSL. Um, how did that affect you know that training? And then when the Olympics gets delayed, um, I mean that happened before the opt out. Um, what does that do for your ability to prepare for what's coming next? That's probably one of the longest gaps of your career outside of injury. Yeah, definitely. I mean, by far, I don't think I've ever had this much much time off. Um, I think pretty early on, um, you know, like w- with our trainer, it was kind of like, okay, we're not going to be able, we're just not physically going to be able to because of quarantine and the pandemic to train at the level that we were training at and that we're used to. So I think right away it was kind of like, okay, this is going to be different. We're going to be in this for the long haul, at least for a number of months. So kind of changing things around and taking the time to rest, frankly, um, and kind of, you know, detraining a little bit. And then, you know, understanding that we were going to have, you know, the rest of the year to kind of work back in um, and get fit again. So I, I think early on, we, I, you know, definitely with my trainer, I was kind of like, let me just take this opportunity um, to work on things physically that I haven't been able to work on, get a little bit more healthy um, and just kind of reset from, you know, what turned out to be an absolutely insane 2019. Given, Megan, your decision to opt out before, how comfortable now where we are with COVID are you being a part of this process and playing? I mean, I'm definitely more comfortable now. Uh, I'm not comfortable at all with COVID. I want to keep as far away from COVID as humanly possible. Um, I, I feel like Sue and I never left quarantine, really, uh, with the exception of, of going into our respective sports. Um, but no, I mean, it's still, you know, just being really vigilant. Um, I mean, I think the NWSL did a phenomenal job. All the players and the protocols in the league did a great job, um, you know, putting the challenge cup on and having a fall series, um, you know, and they've been, you know, relatively safe and it seems like players have all bought in. And I, I think that's the most important part. If you have everyone doing every single thing they possibly can, you know, to mitigate spread and to mitigate risk. Um, that's really what you're looking for. And then, you know, I'm just waiting for my vaccine appointment, really, which is probably <laughs> going to come in like June. Yeah, I'm like, I'm ready. Sign me up. 
of course, when it's my time, I'm not not looking to cut the line, but (laughs) right. (laughs) Yeah, I know exactly. I'm like, damn, I am young and healthy. Uh, It's okay though. We're talking to Megan. But I feel good. I'm I'm excited to go back in with the team and, uh, you know, get back in with the rain and, and have a good season. Looking forward to that. Yeah, so you've got, obviously, this upcoming NWSL season. You've got the Olympics to look forward to, so a lot on your plate this year. I wanted to ask you about the U.S. Women's National Team coach, who used to be your coach with the Reigns, so you know him quite well, Vlatko Andonovsky. What can you tell us about him? We're trying to get a read on him, and all we hear so far is that people seem to really like him. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I genuinely think people really do like him. Uh, I mean, I think the the most important thing, you know, that you get from a coach is just being upfront and honest. Uh, that's all players really, uh, you know, that's all we can really ask for. We're all here uh, for a reason. We're all very high-level players. Um, you know, we want to train hard, and, and we just want it to, to come straight to us. Um, and he's really good at that. Um, you know, him and his whole staff, you can just tell, like, they just want every single player to look better. They're constantly just telling you these little things um, to improve your game, not just, you know, as a team, but individually as well. So, uh, you know, he likes a, he likes a good corny joke. Um, he likes a, a dad-type joke. So that's, that's probably his, his claim to fame. Maybe he wants some more laughs than he's getting, but, you know, he thinks he's pretty funny. <laughs> Wait, are you not into dad jokes, Regan? I mean, come on. Dad, everybody loves <laughs> no, dad I'm joke. into dad jokes. I'm into dad jokes. Okay, so Sarah I, I has, give him the uh, chuckle. <laughs> I'll, hey, look, I'll take a chuckle anytime. Uh, Sarah has got me uh, hyped up about the NWSL. We keep talking about it on the show, but there's a lot of growth behind the league. What do you think has been the reason for so much attention coming to it right now? Uh, I mean, I think the more that we can, you know, translate the success of the women's national team, both domestically and obviously we had, you know, an amazing World Cup in 2019, translate that success and that attention and hype and, you know, media attention to the NWSL. It's, 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 it's always kind of not made sense to me. Like, you know, we get so much hype with the national team and then it's like people just forget that we go back and play, you know, 30 games a year with another team that you can watch and watch in market. So I think just more people are finding out about it, finding out ways to watch. Um, we have some really exciting new teams coming into the league and ownership groups coming into the league. Obviously, um, you know, unfortunately we had uh, owner on owner crime the other day down in uh, Australia. Naomi Osaka had to, had to take it to the goat. Um, but it's exciting, you know, being able to, you know, use that excitement and use, you know, their notoriety as they've invested into the teams. Chelsea Clinton was another one. Uh, Bryce Gary also invested in the Washington team. So I think just kind of creating that buzz in different ways. I think it's really important for women's leagues to be creative and not just do everything that men's leagues do. Like, obviously, they've been around for, you know, 30 more years than us or 20 more years than us. Like, we got to kind of chart our own path. And I feel like we're kind of figuring out a way to do that now. Yeah, and besides the enthusiasm and creativity, it's just flat-out capital, right? And the other thing that's always been the issue for women's leagues is investing, actually investing and giving them a shot to succeed before you complain about how the dividend's not uh, matching up to what you'd expect. Uh, There needs to be a real push to invest. We're talking to Megan Rapinoe on Spain and Fitz. Before we let you go, I have to ask about your scouting report on the young talent, uh, the next generation of U.S. women's national team stars. There are a handful of players that will continue to be great that we all recognize from previous World Cups and Olympics. But who are some of the folks we should be keeping our eyes on uh, that are going to help take over and, and take the torch? 
Well, they need to relax a little bit. They're coming in here too good too early, in my, in my opinion. They need, they need to just cool it. <laughs> um, no, it, it really is impressive, like just the level that, you know, a Katarina Macario and Sophie Smith are at at such a young age. Uh, you know, Mal Piusci had an injury uh, this camp and was on the training roster. But uh, the future is just so bright. Um, it, it's really exciting. I mean, I think – you know, offensively, obviously, um, you know, I think Katarina Macario is just, she's going to be a stud. Uh, I think she's kind of proven that right away. And now it's just a matter of, you know, figuring out the level and the pace of the game. Obviously, is quicker than, uh, you know, anything that she's done before. But she's looking to, to fit right in and has that, uh, obviously, that Brazilian flair and that creativity that uh, I think will, will serve this team well. Yeah, lots of talk about her. Got her first goal already. Uh, we'll certainly be keeping an eye on her. Well, good luck in the rest of the She Believes Cup. And, of course, looking forward to the NWSL season. And uh, congrats on the book, by the way. I meant to mention One Life. Uh, I got it for Christmas. I read it in about three days, just straight through. And I loved it so much. So congrats uh, on that success as well. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate you. Megan Rapino with us on the Goodyear Hotline here on Spain and Fitz. Brought to you by Goodyear, helping you discover the road ahead. Goodyear, more driven. Coming up, we will uh, fangirl during the break and scream like small children. And then uh, get into the Steelers and some strong words about the direction they're taking at quarterback. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Back to Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We're all in a tizzy. After talking do you remember to the time Rapinoe? we talked to Megan Rapino? You, hey, you remember that? Remember that? Remember that time you scored that goal? Remember, remember that time? <laughs> remember, remember that time you won the World Cup? And remember that? It's Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We're fangirling over here a little bit uh, as we talk to Pino, and uh, we will continue to follow along with the She Believes Cup and get ready for the NWSL season, where I will turn Jason Fitz into the world's biggest Red Stars fan. Even though that's not her team, we're still going to make it happen. Uh, we uh, need to get back question. to. Do I get yeah. the? Pino, now that I've been part of an interview with her yeah, once, yeah, like, yeah. I feel like now I don't know. we're on that she, level. Uh, or did you feel like you were BFFs? You sounded a little nervous. You asked her about the hardness of something. Yeah, I realized I said that. <laughs> yeah, I, there was no, there was no taking that back. I just I was... got lost in the middle of the question. I got lost in the moment, and then I, I, I couldn't find the word, and that was the best one I came up yeah, with. So that's yeah. my first impression. I was the, feeling a little bit. I was, I was feeling a little bit nice today. So instead of throwing you under the bus after the question and asking if you were particularly nervous, I just let it slide. Uh, but I brought it. up I now, had a so. very Chris Farley moment after I said it. I think on, if you had seen me here, I slapped myself in the face and said, "No." There you go. Uh, it's time for Straight Talk, brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. Uh, we put up a little poll at Sarah Spain, at Jason Fitz, at Spain and Fitz. You know, whenever you do this and you say Steelers fans, it doesn't mean they're the only ones answering, right? There's a bunch of people chiming in. But we asked, are you ready to say goodbye to Ben Roethlisberger? The responses were yes, no, he's still great, or no, don't have anyone else. And yes, is leading the way at 68%. Then 24% said, look, we don't have anybody else. And only about 6.7% think he's still great. Fitz, I think it's time to move on, but I understand that there's a feeling of loyalty. And Michael Wilbon also believes there should be some loyalty expressed from the Steelers. Here's what he said on PTI. My first response hearing this going back a week is to look at serious side eye at Kevin Colbert. It's like, you know, you really, you're just going to give the back of your hand to a guy who won a franchise two Super Bowls and got to another one? Really? Kevin Colbert, what the hell do you ever do? 
And I would say this, Tony, I doubt he's going to have the final decision in a family-run organization like the Pittsburgh Steelers have been for, I don't know, 80 years. So I hope he doesn't have the last word. I mean, because he seems like just an ingrate, like just he's acting like an ungrateful bum. So there's a way if you think you're going to get rid of Ben Roethlisberger, there's a way to call him in and say, look, Ben, what do we do here? But that doesn't seem to be how this is going down. So whatever happens to make Kevin Colbert look like a fool, I'm with that and we'll give that a standing ovation. Interesting ire from Wilbon here. Yeah, and look, he's a Michael Wilbon I, is another person I don't really want to tick off. So, you know, I yeah, say I this gently, it. Sarah. He's just wrong on this point. I mean, <laughs> every time I've heard this, I keep thinking about it. I mean, to his direct question, what the hell has Kevin Colbert ever done? Well, I mean, he's been the GM of the Steelers since 2010. He was the director of football operations from 2000 to 2010. So these wins that Ben have were all while he had a prominent role in the organization and helped build the roster. So to directly answer what the hell has Kevin Colbert ever done, he helped win those rings. So <laughs> he got some some credit here, too. We're making it sound like he is an unaccomplished bum, and he's not. His resume, pretty darn impressive. Yeah, there's a part of me that understands where Wilbon is coming from, right? When you do have someone in this position who has done so much for the franchise, who has become the face of the franchise over the years, it seems odd for him in a in a in a presser to say the equivalent of, "Well, he's our quarterback today, but uh, no promises." But at the same time, you can't have an aging guy who can't complete throws downfield costing you a forty-one million dollar cap hit, right? Even if he were to get himself on a veteran's minimum he would still be a $21 million cap hit. Now that's half as much and still pretty bad for a guy that seems pretty washed at this point. Ryan Clark, ESPN NFL analyst, was on with KJ and Z and seems to feel like the Steelers are right to say, listen, thanks for everything, but time to get out of here. I believe it's time to move on. And I kind of have two stories. Ben comes out publicly and basically he's like, I'll play for free. I love this organization. I think I still got some left. I know my chances aren't plentiful other places. I'll come back for whatever price it is, right? So now you put pressure on Kevin Colbert, who's the GM. Here's the other thing, man. Like Kevin Colbert is not for play, right? He's not for world consumption. He doesn't just come out and say things just to talk. Like he's a man's man. He's a football guy. And he says, you know what? We have to evaluate if we can get Ben back at the price we want him or even if that's the best thing. I don't believe that that is lip service. I think he looks at Ben and understands that right now he holds the organization back. And listen, I was on the phone with Troy Palomalu when he ended up being released finally by the Pittsburgh Steelers after year 12. And I love Ben, but Ben isn't Troy. And they moved on from him. So the one thing I will say about that, Fitz, is we talked about this on Highly Questionable and and Pablo was critical um, of, of the conversation and said, you know, no one's holding you to a lie detector test. Feel free to lie and then clean it up later, right? Tell everybody he's going to be around, and then if you change your mind, let him go. I disagree with that. I think that we are the ones in the media who often will criticize a GM or or a front office person for lying to us in the midst of working out a trade, um, even if they're even if they're protecting you know that trade that hasn't gone through yet. So I'm fine with the honesty, and I think it's the wise thing to do. And behind the scenes, by all accounts, they might be having very honest conversations about what's next. And if that's what's happening, that's really all you can ask in a meritocracy of a sport that – they're honest with him about how they think he looks and whether they want to move on with him. One of the difficulties in this also, it's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, is the understanding that, you know, as much as we say Kevin Colbert should do the right thing here, 
If things don't go right for them over the course of the next couple of years, Ben continues the decline in play. The Steelers don't look like they're any good. They don't get the quarterback situation figured out. In a couple of years when he gets fired, is he going to be able to look at the Roonies and the organization and say, well, but guys, I did the right thing by Ben and that set us back a year. I, I just think that, right. you know, in the moment we want to have this great altruistic like love affair for everybody where organization and players do right by everything and front offices aren't held accountable for it. But I don't think that there's any difference for any front office when it comes to the expectation that it's not what you've done. It's what will you be doing? And at some point, it's not just about Ben and how he moves forward. It's also about how the Steelers and how Kevin Colbert does his job moving forward. You found a quarterback once. You're going to have to find a quarterback again to keep your job. And that needs to be his only focus because his job is to make sure that the Steelers are constantly great and relevant. Yeah, I don't think you're going to convince a whole lot of guys on that team that they're willing to go out and throw their bodies into other people for a whole season in service of doing right by a quarterback that they don't think they can win with. That's just not how it works. So the honest behind-the-scenes conversations, and frankly, the honesty in the presser is fine with me. I'm a little surprised by Will Bond's anger there, um, but perhaps he knows more than we do about a lack of communication or ways that Ben is maybe feeling wronged by how that organization is handling things. So Straight Talk brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. No contract, no compromise. Coming up, how concerned we should we be I can, with my inability to read, but then also... Uh, with a title contender slide. <laughs> There's a team that we think should be great. They haven't been living up to our expectations, and that has us worried about what happens once again when the postseason arrives. We'll get into all of it next on ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. It's a Friday edition. And have a little fun now. Head to one of our favorites. We're going to go over to the Goodyear Hotline where we are joined by our good friend Jen Latta from ESPN Milwaukee. And Jen, we wanted to have you on because, frankly, I think I spent all last year in the regular season saying, don't worry, the Bucks are going to go to the NBA Finals and they're going to be great and it's going to be spectacular. And I haven't said that a single time this year because, A, I learned my lesson, and B, it seems like something's wrong. So what's the temperature right now in Milwaukee on a Bucks team that's going through a losing streak that they haven't seen in years? Yeah, that's a really good question, and thanks for having me on, guys. It depends on who you ask. So on our show in, on ESPN Milwaukee, we have been debating this throughout this five-game losing streak. Now, mind you, they did win five straight before going on this losing streak. So people are saying, well, if you're going to be, if you're going to panic about losing five in a row, were you at least optimistic about winning five in a row? And to that I say, every week matters a little bit more the closer you get to the postseason. The general thought here in Milwaukee is that this is going to be a tinker season, that they have a new roster in place, new faces. Uh, Drew Holiday, the biggest and best face that they added to this team. He's been great defensively. He's been great offensively. He's actually been out for this stretch where they've lost the games as well. But the bottom line is they are trying to figure out a recipe that will not necessarily ensure success in the regular season, but will ensure a deeper run in the postseason. Because like you said, the Bucks have had the best record in the NBA the last two seasons in the regular season, but it hasn't amounted to the wins in the postseason. So a lot of this is on Coach Mike Budenholzer to figure out if he can keep tinkering with this lineup 
tinkering with the minutes usage and this new defense that they're installing and find a way as you creep closer to the postseason. And we set the deadline of April, and then this morning we actually backed it up to the day before the trade deadline. You need to see some type of improvement with this team by then in order to feel like this experiment of stinking during the regular season is going to actually pay off in the postseason. Jen, you talked about coaching there, and it feels like a lot of people have said Coach Bud's sort of on the hot seat because they haven't been able to translate regular season success to the postseason, and so much of success across playoff series is coaching and adjustments. Does it feel like this is still the problem here, even as they've kind of tried to shore up some of the positions that they needed help at? Is it limitations to Giannis, despite being an MVP player? What how much are we blaming on coaching right now? Yeah, a little column A, a little a column B, Sarah. I feel like the better that Giannis plays, right? He's been you know, putting triple doubles in the box score for several games. It feels like the worse the team plays, which is weird because you would think as your superstar go, so goes your team. But that hasn't been the case with Giannis. And it does feel like he's trying to figure out what his role is on this team as well. I do think that Mike Budenholzer is on the hot seat if this team doesn't show that they can hang in the playoffs. I think that that has been established from this team just because they had a meeting at the end of last year. We've talked about it on this program before and kind of said to him, like, you got to make it work. The challenge there, guys, is Mike Budenholzer relied so heavily on his bench last year, and it was really, really good. This year, the brass took away his bench. They basically were like, we're not even going to let you do what you like to do because you don't have the horses to do it. So last year, when Giannis and some of the starters would get a good spell, you could rely on the bench to maintain a lead or sometimes extend a lead. That has not been the case for the Bucks this year. They are really struggling with Drew Holiday out of the starting lineup, and they're struggling to try to figure out where Brooke Lopez fits in this new defense because he's really, really good in the paint defensively. You know, there were people last year who were saying, why wasn't he an all-defensive selection? This year, he's really struggled, and teams are scoring, like shooting the lights out when he's on the floor from three. And you guys know this, man. The NBA now is a three-ball shooting league. You have to figure out a way to defend it. It used to be you could be like, well, not every team can shoot the three. We'll take our chances that they're not going to have a 40% night and figure we can beat them in other ways. That's just not the case anymore. You have to be able to stop the three, and the Bucks have been really bad at it this year. Talking to Jen Latta, you can hear on ESPN Milwaukee, Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. So, Jen, obviously, everybody has a little bit more calm in this process because Giannis signed the Supermax, right? So there's not the same panic that he's going to walk out of town. But now that they are uh, contractually obligated for that kind of money, how much flexibility do the Bucks even have when they get towards the trade deadline if they want to make a move? Yeah, it's, it's less about Giannis than it is about they just don't have the assets. Right. So we were talking today like, oh, what about a guy like Bradley Beal? Could you bring him in? And he would be this like, you know, guy who could who could distribute the ball and he would be that spark that you need to get this team going. Like, who would they even who who do you even give up? You know what I mean? You can't throw together a package of beer and cheese curds and be like, here, hopefully you'll take that (laughs) for Bradley Beal, you know? So that's the problem that the Bucks have. It's almost as though they have to take the guys they have and hope that they steadily improve as the season goes on. Um, I made a joke last night on Twitter about every time it feels like the Bucks recently have faced the Raptors, you know, even with the Raptors missing Lowry the last two times, it seems like Nick Nurse always figures out a way to out-coach uh, Coach Budenholzer. So I said, Nick Nurse and Spring Frost. And what do they have in common? Destroying Buds.
<laughs> uh, that's a line for you. Jen Latta with us here trying out her comedy routine while also telling us about the Bucks here on Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz on ESPN Radio. Jen, you're getting the pulse of that city all the time with your radio show, uh, and feel free to give it a shameless plug when you answer this. But does it feel like fans are freaking out because even when they were the best in the league, it didn't work in the postseason? Or have they learned to not know what might be, you know, what might a regular season success or failure portend in the in the, in the playoffs? You know, that's a really good question. Uh, we do talk about it on Jen, Gabe, and Chewy, which is 7 to 9 Central Time on ESPN Milwaukee 94.5. Um, I just wonder how good can you really be in the postseason if you're not good now? Right? Like I was saying to somebody, this is like an engagement. This is like dating somebody and being like, well, there's some issues, but those will probably go away once we're <laughs> married. And then marriage is the postseason, right? Like, no, you got to figure that stuff out now. You got to make those changes now. And that's what the Bucks would say they're doing. I just have told the fan base, you don't have to drink the Kool Aid. We as sports fans have been programmed since we were little kids that winning matters. And now you're trying to recalibrate an entire fan base to say that winning doesn't matter if it takes place between this date and this date. That's a tough pill to swallow. So I understand why there are people who are like, okay, tinker away, but at least we need to see incremental improvements. And that's why I was saying playing Toronto in, in you know, back-to-back games, you wanted to see some of the things that ailed them in the first matchup maybe being better in the second as though maybe they learned something, you know, kind of like when a hitter goes to the dugout or, you know, the clubhouse and checks tape and is like, Oh, that at bat stunk, but I'm going to go out for this next at bat. And I figured something out. They didn't seem to figure anything out. And I think that's where the frustration is starting to creep in. Talking to Jen Latta from ESPN Milwaukee, Uh, Jen, you know, realistically, if everything goes perfect in your mind, if everything gets great for the bucks and everything goes right on track for what you think the best is for them, give them benefit of the doubt. Where are they in the East in your mind? Oh, I mean, again, how much of the Kool-Aid are you drinking? Right. Um, I just don't think this team has the depth to hang in the postseason. And again, they kind of mortgaged their depth in order to bring in Drew Holiday. You know, we even talked about, like, the sliding door situation of Bogdan Bogdanovich, who was supposed to be the big signing that they got this year, and how, wow, I mean, who knows if his situation rolls out the way that it has if he's with the Bucks, but, you know, did they dodge a bullet by not getting him ultimately? It's tough to say where they hang. I do know this. I saw Bobby Marks tweet something out about the Nets talking about how they were pretty bad in defensive efficiency in their previous games, but somehow over the last five, they've figured something out. The Bucks haven't figured anything out yet. And it made me question, like, well, if the Nets can figure it out, like, in a matter of a couple of games, and maybe that's just, you know, James Harden deciding to show up, I don't know. Um, it made me feel like the Bucks need to be showing more incremental improvements to convince people that they can hang in the postseason. I just don't see it right now. Yeah, it's frustrating, Jen. Yeah, I, Sorry, Fitz. I, I'm just expressing my frustration for having one of the best players in the league. And uh, you, you're at least you've got him you've got him signed. But now you have to figure out, do you take a very quick fix approach or do you say we've got him for enough years that we can we can step back and try to try to really go for it in a year or two? And that's that's a tough decision to make. Thanks for the insight. You guys, too. you can listen to her on uh, ESPN Milwaukee, 7 to 9 a.m. Every single weekday, Jen, as always, we appreciate you coming on and being our eyes and ears for Milwaukee. We appreciate it. 
Yep. Well, she's gone, Sarah. Uh, and by the way, you're absolutely right. And the one thing that we all know is that just because you sign him to a contract doesn't mean anything is certain in the future if you start blowing it. It is the NBA. The NBA is on ESPN Radio. Tune in tomorrow night. LeBron and the Lakers host Butler in the Heat, presented by Indeed. Coverage begins at 8 p.m. Eastern on most ESPN Radio stations. Coming up, it's the end of another work week. We celebrate it the way only we can. Fry, yay! Coming up next, Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. That's right. It's a fry, yay! It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain. Jason Fitz on a Friday on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. Want to give a special shout out to one of our favorite listeners, Bears fan, Dad Man, uh, who had a bad day. And I, I told him this beginning of this show is going to be when the weekend starts for you. And you don't have to be sad anymore. You don't have to have a bad day. We flipped the switch, man. And this is going to be for you and me, Fitz, also the start of the weekend. Because it's Friday, Duh. That's right. We've reached a Friday night, which means you're probably sitting around at home thinking about what you're doing for the weekend. Maybe, maybe you're thinking about tuning in tomorrow for some college basketball action. Kansas hosting Texas Tech coverage, 1.30 p.m. Eastern on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Maybe you're thinking about making some bad decisions on the old Tinder. Well, sometimes we like to do that with you. We ask you some questions. We answer, swiping up if we super like it, swiping right if we agree, down if we hate it, and left if we disagree. It's just a way we connect with you guys while you're out there making bad decisions on a Friday night. <laughs> Fitz, let's start with something funny I saw on The Daily Show. Russell Westbrook was the guest, and he said to to, to the host, Trevor Noah, uh, that before the show, uh, Noah was telling a friend about all the stuff that Russell Westbrook does off the court, and the friend said, wow. I thought Russell Westbrook was an a-hole. And so he shared that story with him. And Russ basically said it's the biggest challenge of his life. He plays the game with so much passion. He's so aggressive. He wants to be great. But at the same time, he wants to be good off the floor and help people as much as he can. So he's somehow trying to fight off that a-hole impression when he's uh, when he's off the court. When you think of Russell Westbrook, do you think a-hole? I'm going to swipe up. Super swipe like up. This. Super like. <laughs> Uh, look, but it is a part of his aggressiveness on the court, and that's what we become defined by, right? Like it, it, when you're watching these guys, the closest we can come, no different than so often, for better or for worse, right or wrong, actors that play great prominent roles, eventually fans sort of forget that that's not the actual human being, that's a character they're playing. Well, you know, in some ways, that's what happens when we watch guys play any particular sport. So Russ's persona on the court is going to travel into how we see him as a human being simply because that's the closest view to Russ we ever get. I'm going to swipe left. Swipe left. Oh. I do not think of him as an a-hole. I think, yeah, aggressive and everything else, sure. I think he strikes me as different, and people don't like different. The clothes he wears, the way he's sort of flamboyant about, you know, why not? And just owning who he is. That rubs people the wrong way. They want people to conform. But when I think of him, I think sick fits. And even when they aren't sick, when they're a little weird, I give him props for trying it and for, and for putting it out there. He's got a foundation. He's producing a documentary on the Tulsa race massacre. He seems like a guy who cares. And the thing I want most out of my athletes is to be playing 100% all the time and to never have their teammates feel like they don't care. Now, does he take terrible shots? Yes. Does he miss a lot of them? Absolutely. But I would much rather have a guy who cares than one who's truly an a-hole 
because he doesn't show up every day in practicing games. So I'm with you, Russ. Keep <laughs> at it, friend. All right. A lot of conversation about my Chicago Bears today, and not just on this show, but also on Get Up when they asked whether the Bears would be a team likely to give up enough to get Deshaun Watson in the old Deshaun Watson sweepstakes. And not only did Rob Ninkovich seem to think that the Bears would be willing to go in, he gave his impressions of the team by reverting back to his native roots as an Illinoisian, and here's what it sounded like. I woke up this morning and I turned on Get Up. I heated up a hot piece of Giordano's deep dish pizza. And when I did that, I hear this talk about Deshaun Watson and the Bears. The Bears, since 1920, my great-grandfather, my grandfather, my dad, and myself have been the ultimate super fans of the Bears. The Bears. And if you go get Deshaun Watson, I guarantee that they will be back-to-back-to-back-to-back Super Bowl champions. Get Dicka, get the cigars. We're having a parade. Die to River Orange. The Bears are going to the Super Bowl because we're going to have the best quarterback to ever play for the Bears. <laughs> okay, wow. Fitz, the question is, was this a good impression by Rob Ninkovich? I'm going to swipe up. Swipe up. Super like. Hey, that's good work by Nick. I didn't even know he was capable of that. So I'm all in on this. And, and by the way, like he's got a little side gig going now. Like that, maybe that was quietly his audition to be featured somehow in an SNL skit sometime. I'm just saying, like, good work by him. Yeah, very strange, right? When it's somebody who's so associated with a team, right? And then and then for him to to, to all of a sudden be be talking like a Bears fan. Um, I have to swipe up. Swipe up. Super like. I mean, he crushed it. He got the references to the Giordanos. Later, he said he had a heart attack and they had to take some blood and it showed up as part ragu and part oju sauce from from the beef at Portillo's. Um, Listen, he got the references right. The key to this is also the face on Ryan Clark the whole time. So I urge you to go watch the tape of this and the video so you can also get Ryan Clark reacting to Ninkovich uh, throughout. It's it's excellent. You mentioned Portillo's, by the way, and on your recommendation, I started watching Fast Foodies on True TV, where you know so good, top chefs right? go in and they remake. But it was hysterical to me that on one of the episodes where they were replicating Portillo's, like <laughs> one of the chefs just could not say the could name over and over. And I'm looking, I'm like, have you never heard of it? Like, it's not like it's a weird thing. Like, I would think anybody, especially if you're a chef, you would know it. It was a little stunning to me. Made me think of you. Clearly. Clearly, he has not heard of it because you're right. He said it about 18 different ways, none of them correct. Last night's episode, by the way, was new when they recreated Domino's Hawaiian pizza. Oh, I'm telling you, this is a good show sober. So I can only imagine if you've got the munchies or you're hammered, I mean, you're going to gain some weight because chances are if you watch it with the munchies, you're going to order whatever they're eating. But they recreate whatever fast food item, a Portillo's hot dog, a Domino's pizza. Um, I think they're doing an In-N-Out burger next week. Um, and then they take a spin on it. It's fun. It's a really fun show. Um, I had no idea it was a good show sober, too. I'll have to try it. Yeah, I was going to say, chances are you could recommend uh, what it's like to watch Encumbered. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's Sports yes. Tinder. We're swiping up right, left, and down <laughs> for some questions around sports. You know, when we were on the air the other night, the Fernando Tatis Jr. deal hit. So we mostly talked about the dollars, and we talked about uh, some of the interesting things we've learned since, like I believe Bobby Bonilla's contract with the Mets ends uh, the same year as Fernando Tatis Jr.'s. Um, also worth noting that uh, Fernando Tatis Jr. will make as much as his father did in his career in Major League Baseball every 100 games or so with this new oh deal. 
Uh, so it's great for him, of course. That's a lot of guaranteed money. But I have to ask, is it good for baseball for him to go to a small market team like the Padres? So I'm going to swipe right on this one. Swipe, swipe right. right. And I was a little torn on it as I thought about it because uh, I think it's great anytime you have non-traditional powers, right? And, and the Padres certainly aren't somebody that are usually talked about the same way the Yankees are, or the Dodgers are. Uh, so I love the fact that there's some wealth being spread here to markets that you know really crave this and want it. it there, it also is going to change the expectation in my mind to what baseball teams across the landscape are expected to spend. I just wonder what it means for mid-range free agents. So that's why I only went right instead of up. Yeah, I'm going to go right. Swipe right. I do think that there are ways in which the viewing public might not see him as much and be able to build on his great personality in addition to his play. But we need this, too. We, we need him to go somewhere and have them spend and push the big market teams into spending. While Ricketts is saying that the Cubs are suffering biblical losses, they're not <laughs> spending and watching the Padres dump all this money. So if it pushes bigger teams to spend and it makes the talent across the league go up and the competition level go up, then I'm all for it. By the way, Benia will actually get paid for another year after the Tatis deal expires. So Mets, unbelievable. Uh, coming up, Freddie and Fitzsimmons, I think they're going to have um, – is it President LeBron. Obama? Oh, it's LeBron tonight. Great. It's LeBron. Check it out. It's next. Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You can listen to the show weeknights at 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio and on the ESPN app.